Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. So today, I'm pleased to have Albrecht on our call from Skylab. So I believe I, I was talking to Albrecht. He said, yeah, just call me Alby. So I'll go with Alby. Uh, Alby, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Nice to meet you. And good, really good to be on this podcast. Yes, please call me Alby. Alby, uh, perfect. So so where are you joining us uh, this afternoon, this evening, slash I'm morning AM? Where, where are you calling from? <laughs> well, I'm in uh, beautiful gray Hamburg, northern Germany. Um, that's my that's my home. That's the headquarters of Skylab. Um, and yeah, we have a nice and miserable January afternoon. It's uh, two two in the afternoon here. Right, right. Eight a.m. here in Ottawa, Canada. And, and if I look out the window, well, we have blue skies, but I think it's minus thirty three with a wind chill minus thirty seven. So uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's uh, better or worse than what you have. I might take your gloomy than what we have, right? right now so so thanks for joining i'm really excited to have this conversation so you and i have never met um and 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 you know obviously you're a leader in the technology space you know i i watch skylab on uh, social media and all the cool things you're doing and obviously you have a great roster of logos uh companies you're working with but maybe introduce uh yourself first and your role within the company and what skylab does at at a at a high level and then as we go through the podcast will drill down in different themes and, and we'll go from there. So maybe introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, Kevin, for, for inviting me. It's, um, I, I, I had hoped we would meet at some point and now we're doing this in public. So uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, well, um, so uh, just, a, just a brief introduction of, of myself and Skylab. Um, I guess we go into some detail later on, but um, I'm I'm, I'm a biologist by training, but um, I see myself as much as a biologist as an entrepreneur. So this is my first company. Um, I founded Skylab in 2017. Um, uh, before that, I founded and built and then sold a company that was busy in uh, climate protection projects around the world, more in the chemical industry. But we also looked at forestry at that point. Um, uh, but yeah, with the onset of, of drone technology and and easy to use photogrammetry software, um, I felt it's time to, to look at a, at a nature-based application of these technologies. So um, we looked at some possibilities and forestry was kind of the open white plain where nobody had really done much of this work before. So that's where we focused on very quickly. And um, yeah. that's where we yeah. are. So interesting, I, I can't say I've met very many biologists that have successfully exited uh by selling a company so so tell me more about that background like obviously there's an entrepreneurial flame if you will there but but how did that come about like through childhood experiences or parents or or maybe tell me more about that yeah well i guess my father was an entrepreneur of sorts i mean he was employed but in a, in a medium-sized German enterprise and he, he ran the company for 20 years and uh, to me it seemed that it, as a child it seemed my father has his own company and he's very busy he's away a lot and um, but admi- I, I admired him for that and maybe some of that entrepreneurial spirit uh, has caused me to, to, be, to feel and act like an entrepreneur. Um, I, I guess my motivation was Really, I was really interested in biology, but I knew, I always knew I was never going to 
be a, a scientist. I was not going to work and live in a lab. Um, although it really fascinates me, it's not me. I, I knew that. And, uh, and business also interested me. So I really wanted to seek that. Where can I combine this? And, and then uh, back at university. So here's a lesson for a few kids out there. You learn something for life at university. Um, uh, I heard the word emissions trading for the first time. This was in, well, let's see, 95, 96. Um, and um, so here I thought, okay, there's something uh, that's trying to solve an environmental problem with a market solution. And um, this was about SOX and NOX trading in the US and some fishing rights somewhere else. So, um, and then, then I, I, I looked around and read around. I didn't Google around because that was, <laughs> wasn't there, of course. So, um, uh, and emissions trading was something that stuck in my head and I really wanted to, to uh, know more of that and then develop the business idea in that field. And um, uh, that didn't fly. So I, I found a company that employed me to become an emissions broker. So finding project-based emission reduction solutions um, and uh, linking that up with, with companies back in the uh, early 2000s, uh, before the, even the Kyoto Protocol was, was live uh, to offset their emissions um, in expectation of some rules to come. And that was really an exciting time and uh, already global uh, undertaking. And uh, I worked for that company, a New York-based company, um, but I worked then in London and then moved to Hamburg, worked for them and um, built kind of, I guess I was part of, of a group of people who uh, were very involved in building the, the, the rules for emissions trading in Europe and under the, uh, the project-based solutions. So, um, and out of that, I started my first company back in 2004. Um, and we were specialized on reducing laughing gas emissions from the chemical industry. So wow. that was our project specialty and we developed all the methodology and technology around it, found the customer or the companies to implement the technology and then get the project registered and verifications, issuance of credits and uh, trading of the credits as well. So very exciting, pioneering times. And yeah. uh, I'm seeing a lot of that coming back now. So yeah, yeah. So sounds like you've always, again, just the keyword got you going. And, and I laugh when you said, you know, I would have used Google. It's probably dating us because, yeah, I was the web 1.0 where, uh, yeah, the, the Google did not exist uh, back then. And today, when I think about it with the amount of information, knowledge, podcasts out there, arguably, there's no reason why a young person can't get a good jump start by just doing their work and, and doing some research online. So it sounds like you've always been blazing the trail. So connect me to the forestry side, like obviously emissions and you're touching on carbon, but, 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 you know, obviously with Skylab with AI and then like data analytics yeah. and drones data, like what was that another spark that came about or just maybe your network or, or tell me more about that? Well, I guess there's a couple of connections. I mean, forestry always interested me. My, my some part of my family owns for has owned forest for, as we do in Germany for many hundreds of years. <laughs> so, um, uh, my my closer family doesn't, but but uh, a couple of my uncles. So uh, forestry was always there in my family. So there is a fascination for that. Um, but uh, but also in, in in that previous company I just described, forestry projects were always uh, was something we wanted to do, but we lacked uh, simply well there was no methodology and we we lacked the technology to reliably monitor forestry carbon. 
um, uptake. So um, the, the classic, um, and maybe here's another lesson. So um, the, the, the classic forest inventories were seen as too, um, uh, yeah, not precise enough on a, on a stand level to, because that's what you're looking at, smaller scale uh, project, at least at that time. Um, and uh, the, the sampling based um, uh, yeah, inventories weren't seen as um, reliable and transparent and impartial enough. So, um, and, and then when drone technology and photogrammetry and, and, and remote sensing became so much better nowadays, um, um, I saw all that came back and I saw an opportunity to, to use that for forest uh, monitoring. And of course, not only for carbon, um, initially carbon wasn't on the forefront. It was more about how can you digitalize forestry, forest management. And um, yeah, we're five years on and we're still working hard on that because it's a long road. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so I have this feeling that your, your, your forest uh, is probably the most imaged, flown, surveyed uh, piece of land maybe, uh, maybe in Germany. But on that note, it, it, I was it was fascinating when you mentioned like, uh, you know, as Germans tied to that that forest resource, um, I was on a intercontinental flight once, and I was working on a slide deck, and then it had like you know machines and IoT stuff. And there's a gentleman who kind of nudged my my elbow, and he said like like What do you do?" So I described it to him, and then I was like, "Oh, what about you? Where are you from?" He's not from Germany. I'm like, "Oh, it's like, do you know anything about forestry?" And he said, "Oh," and he was working on a SAP slide deck. He was a VP at SAP, and then he kind of switched, yeah. loaded up this other slide deck and it had all these forestry machines and and and, and i said what's going on like you're with sap but and he said oh no we have force like as germans like like we have force it's like you know i operate this land base i got machines that i operate i'm like like oh my god it's crazy so you mentioned that jog my memory where i was like how is this possible it's, it's everywhere yeah. So yeah, tell not, me about not every not every German owns forest though. So I don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Full disclosure. Cool. Absolutely. So um, so tell me about how Skylab came to be. Um, you know, 2017. You said. Um, you know, I, I looked at the website. Couple of folks. You know, geoinformatics engineers. You know, there's cloud. There's automation people. Your CTO and stuff. But how did that come around? Like, did you know each other already beforehand? Or is this more something you had to build the team up and find? And was that a struggle finding the right people to bring that vision you had to life? Well, you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, it's sometimes funny how things happen. Um, initially, I had this idea and I wanted to test around a little bit and, and uh, got myself a drone and flew and, and tried some software just to see how it works and if there's something there. Um, but that wasn't very, very satisfying. So I, I um, uh, asked, um, I, I tried to find and found a student, um, a geomatics engineering student uh, who could help me a little bit. And um, he's still there, Simon, our employee number one and uh, CTO now. And um, uh, yeah, we, we tried around like, uh, can you count trees? Um, can you automate that to some extent? Can you build a tree height model that that uh, gives reliable tree heights per tree or per stand? So there was a lot of trial and error at, at, at the beginning. And when I say beginning, I would say that was the first two, three years. Uh, we did a lot of project-based work. So, um, so I mean, the, the first few jobs we, or you know, all the project products that we now have are, are uh, have sprung out of project work that we did for customers. So um, there was a, uh, our first customer was a small um, uh, uh, short rotation coppice plantation uh, manager. They had like, I think roughly 
a thousand hectares of of uh, poplar plantations, and they wanted a more full inventory instead of just uh, um, uh, sampling base. So we said, well, we can try it. We can we can we can fly drone and and give you heights, and we won't be able to count the trees, but because uh, it's just too dense, it looks like like a like grassland from the top, basically. So. Um, and uh, and that worked. I mean, with some hiccups, but yes, we delivered. And the next customer was was a big forest manager. They had a few thousand hectares up in Scotland, and they gave us the first piece of five hundred hectares, and said, "Can you do something here?" And we said, "Well, probably too big for a drone. We hire a plane in Scotland, and uh, found one who could, who could do the job." And uh, then countries, triad models, and so forth, and then uh, deliver you. Um, uh, a, a big share of the inventory, um, and uh, unfortunately, the data coming back from the plane flight wasn't that good. So, um, but we we had promised that we take care of that. So, we sent two people out within twenty four hours. They were in the forest in Scotland in the deep snow, uh, taking some samples, trying to make sense of the poor data from the plane we had, because we wanted to get the next few thousand hectares and. Um, so yeah, we did a bit of, if you want, we cheated a little bit because we went there and did some sampling to, to make good for the, for the poor data quality that we had, but uh, we delivered in the time frame and in the quality that was required. And the next 3000 hectares we did as planned just on uh, remote sensing data. And uh, the customer was very happy both times. And yeah. the second time around, it was already what we had in mind for the first time. So, uh, so out of that, um, more and more projects developed, and and we found that we learned more about the requirements of our customers. And and uh, now we have a range of automated um, products that we can offer, aside from some customized work that we still do and continue doing. Because that's a that's a source of innovation for us to yeah. to do to solve specific problems and learn what the customer may need. And out of that maybe something more standardized can emerge so yeah well, i love hard. it it's it's i i'm chuckling inside because uh you and i both know it's really a straight path you have a great idea there's going to be speed bump <laughs> and at the end of the day it's uh, i would even say it's not even cheating it's just yeah you gotta hustle and 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 get through whatever that speed bump is to to Absolutely, the outcome yeah. for to get the next yeah. prize if you will so so fascinating story uh so let's let's dive into some of the products i know i, I suspect uh, you know a lot of the listeners like all right you guys are warming up chit-chatting but like you know albie's talked about his product so let, let's get into it so i i know there's uh all ai i've seen uh it's again well let me let me ask you everyone says ai what does it mean to you for the lay person because again mm. i've seen the bubble where you know i got machine learning i got deep learning i got ai and everyone just says oh albie i do ai as well what describe yeah. our listeners what AI means to you? Mm. No, absolutely. I think there's a there's it, it, it's become a buzzword uh, loaded with lots of expectations, but in the end, um, to to us it means we have a a self not even a self learning system, but a system that you can that you can throw new data at, new information at, and from based on what it, the system already has seen before it can adapt and improve based on the existing and the new data. So, um, so I think, I think AI artificial intelligence is a, intelligence is a, is a huge word. It, it, it's loaded with lots of meaning, but I think it's, it's at the moment a lot simpler than that. Um, uh, but yes, there is, there is some, some, 
form of, of intelligence in there that, that means we don't know exactly how it improves, but it does because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very, well, you could, you could also look, take a complex view and say it's a, it's a, new, it's a system of many uh, neurons, uh, actually many neural networks that, um, that inspire each other, learn from each other, and, and also they compete with, with each other for the best uh, results. So, um, yeah, taking a closer look, it gets complex and complicated, but, um, and, and we develop actually, we're not just using Amazon cloud service, uh, Amazon web services ready um, uh, made um, neural networks and AI, we, we develop it ourselves. Um, so we know a bit more about what's happening inside and we're able to speed up the learning curve and, and uh, understand the results better. But there's always an element of black boxedness, if you like, because you, you never understand fully what, what's going on inside it. But um, well, yeah, so I don't well, know why that was a simple, that, well, that was a simple explanation. Well, well I want to roll with the role, role play with you because because uh, I'm, I'm chuckling inside. You're using some words that just by saying them uh, makes me know you've you've uh, bumped into these thinking. But I, I guess for our listeners, you know, what we're hearing is more deep learning, not machine learning. So convoluted neural networks or CNN. So this is a little bit, uh, well, much more than maybe the average Joe says, yeah, I, I use AI, but I, I ran R with a random forest with four lines of code. Yeah. And that's I'm a AI specialist. This, this is different. But you mentioned black box. So I'm going to role play. I'm like, Albie, I'm a forester. Nice to meet you. I don't like black boxes. I'm a forester. I need to know <laughs> the relationships between the, the ground, the land, you know, and my trees. It's like, I don't want this black box. Or if you can't explain to it, explain it to me. I'm not going to trust you. Have you bumped into that, that type of comments? And what, what's your response to it? Yeah, uh, kind of not exactly in those words, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, my answer to that is you actually, you've been dealing with a black box for the last however long you've been working in forestry by sampling maybe one, two or three percent of your of your area or maybe five or even ten. But but the rest is your black box. You don't know what's between those sample plots. Um, you are you're guessing you're extrapolating, interpolating uh, on based on your experience, based on your deep knowledge of the stance and of, of your of your wider region and of forestry in general. I mean, there's a lot of intelligence going into that analysis and making sense of these sample plots so um and and i'm not saying ai will replace that um i'm our our approach is um we we take away the 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 boring the boring side of forestry so we take over that part so don't bother measuring and counting trees don't don't bother trying to uh apply statistics to kind of get closer to reality let us look at the entire forest so instead of one to three percent we're sampling 100 percent of the forest and giving you a very detailed overview of the very variation of um, we provide um, stratification uh, we can look at individual trees or or, or stands um, and and uh, provide you with the tools and the maps for precision forestry so that you can make your decisions, uh, you can focus your time and your efforts and your energy and your enthusiasm on, on making decisions, informed decisions from much better and much broader data. Um, so yeah, yeah. that's, that's uh, taking away your black box, re maybe replacing it with, with another form of black box, but 
not in terms of not knowing the data, not knowing what's there, but not exactly knowing always how it came about. But I, I yeah. think we're we're probably overemphasizing the black box part of the the AI because we are really because we develop it, we know what what influences the results. So um, right, yeah, absolutely. Well, at the end of the day, they're just tools, right? And and they're yeah. tools to accomplish or solve some type of problem. So also, a lot of foresters will say, um, "I don't." I, I joke. I, I always say, uh, "Foresters don't want to be the first ones, but they also don't want to be." the second or third or last ones. There's this weird, don't want to take the risk, but I also want to benefit from the people who are taking the risk. Thinking of the technology that you guys have developed, what's the, again, I don't want to ask you like, who's the biggest customer unless you're comfortable sharing that, but what's typical size? Like you mentioned a thousand hectares, uh, largest projects, million hectare range, just to, just to like convey to our listeners that you're doing this for real, not the, oh, mm. Albie's just doing a Skylab. They're just doing little pilot projects here and there. Can you, can yeah. you share some thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, maybe, um, I don't know when it's a good time, but maybe it, uh, we need to take one step back and describe in a few words what Skylab actually offers because I think we, we kind of brushed over that. Um, but but I'll, I'll come to that maybe in a, in a second. Um, um, so um, in terms of our customers, it's really... Um, it can be anywhere from really small privately owned forestry, um, but of course our to 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 the biggest. Um, but of course our our actual customers are usually the bigger forest managers. So right. I mean one one publicly very well known example because we've been working for them and with them for a long time is ABP in Australia in the Green Triangle. Um, they manage around 100,000 hectares of uh, blue gum eucalyptus. Um, and we've been doing their ceiling survival monitoring uh, for several years now. Um, initially not AI based, but but um, like with stupid algorithms, <laughs> but yeah. now, and now with uh, very well-trained um, AI to automatically detect the seedlings and uh, map the weeds and, and uh, map the vitality of the seedlings for more precise, precise replanting and weed management and fertilization. So, um, yeah, but, but yeah, we're working with the very biggest, I mean, in Brazil or North America, you have companies or yeah, you have companies managing millions or million hectares and more. So, yep. yeah, we... We are lucky to count them as our customers as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So let's get into your products. Yeah, yeah, so let's get into, let's pull you into your mention. Let's get into the products in terms of, I know on the website, you know, there's the digital forester, ironically, and then we've had this podcast, but <laughs> I get the impression there's the different types of forestry, parts of forestry. You mentioned seedly counter versus the digital forester and then some yield maps. So walk walk our listeners through in terms of, you know, those, I think there's five or six products that you guys list mm -hmm. and short synopsis on each one and why they might be interested or the value proposition or the problem you're solving with them. Take it away. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks. And I, uh, sorry for, for, uh, for pointing that out that I wanted to come back to that, but it's not that I want to pitch every product. It's more about what the idea of what Skylab wants to achieve and where, where we see ourselves. So um, really think of Skylab as a, as a, as a platform that offers practical software and AI-based um, solutions for the for the forest managers, so um, it's a platform that offers a range of solutions from uh, seedling survival monitoring, um, um, uh, weed mapping, uh, vitality analysis, um, um, very targeted thinning and harvest planning, um, harvest progress monitoring, um, ongoing vitality. Uh, 
analysis and, and alarms if, if vitality drops in a certain region due to uh, drought or, or stress or, or disease, um, even down to uh, timber and carbon timber timber inventories and, and carbon accounting. So that's that's the basic concept. It's a platform um, offering software as a service. So you subscribe to the platform, and then you can you can look for the solutions for any of these um, um, challenges that I just just described. So um, the seedling counter is the product that will help you monitor your seedling survival, and uh, you you basically subscribe uh, to uh, you you take out a one year subscription for a certain volume of seedling counting, and then you have access to the platform. You upload the data, it gets quality checked. So drone data usually in that case gets automatically quality checked, you get automatic uh, quality feedback. It gets processed very fast and within 24 or 48 hours, you have the full seeding survival map, wheat map, vitality map and so forth. So uh, it's more, it's, it's that concept of there's a, there's a platform where you have certain digital solutions uh, for your day-to-day -day first, um, Inventory and forest monitoring problems. Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, seeding counting is one. Tree counting is another, which helps you in thinning and and uh, harvest planning. Um, that can can be coupled with individual tree vitality monitoring. Again, usually drone based, sometimes plane based. And then we have the the more satellite based products, or you can even think of it as apps on that platform. So, um, it's all web based. It's all. Um, super easy access. You don't need any GS knowledge, which I think is is extremely helpful. Um, so that anybody without um, uh, S3 ArcGIS or or QGIS GS or whatever tools you may need for proper GS um, analysis and, and mapping, anybody can access this. Whoever can use Google Maps will be able to use uh, Scala right. Cloud applications. Yeah. So. Um, really, we want to make it as easy as possible for, for the first for, uh, out there, which is, for example, why we uh, rely on standard DJI uh, drone data, RGB data. So there's no need for complex uh, multispectral data to be flown. We, we want to make this easy on the first um, um, Yeah, and, and then uh, moving up the scale, kind of, um, we have satellite-based analysis, the change monitor. Um, deliver solutions for uh, vitality mapping, uh, harvest um, harvest progress monitoring, uh, but also coming back to carbon, um, providing transparency on carbon projects. So um, you're a big corporate; you've just promised net zero, uh, net carbon zero by 2025. Um, how are you going to achieve that? Well, to some extent by carbon offsets. Some of this mm -hmm. may probably come from forestry, but are you sure that? that first is really out there in Panama or Colombia, where, wherever it may be. And, right. and here's a satellite-based tool to give you full transparency. You can check and you can show to your, to your stakeholders, yes, we've checked it. The forest is there and it's still growing and it, uh, it's there. So um, it's these kind of yeah, problem-solving apps that we, that we make available there. So. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm less bashful. Albie, I want you to promote your, your products and stuff. So we can talk <laughs> all, all we want. So what I heard, uh, just to paraphrase is we don't need fancy, you know, drone technology, RGB, you know, you then upload it into the Skyworks cloud and then it does its magic. And then in 24 to 48 hours, you get something back to answer a problem that you have. And you also have the satellite offering that I guess in this case, still goes through Skylab Cloud, but because you're provisioning, it's not the customer tasking provisioning, you do it for them. Is that correct? 
absolutely yeah and and um, maybe there's also um maybe something to 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 that's important about satellite um data i mean it's 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 kind of it's becoming more and more important in forest uh, monitoring and with um with uh, uh, uh i mean many people start using it using it more um what we found was extremely um or surprising is uh, some of this um well, I can I can say a planet scope is something we use a lot. That's three meter resolution. It's it's really really cool because you really have almost daily data availability. Uh, you can go back as far as even 2014 to build time series uh, to look at historic developments. Um, so that's the cool part: high resolution in, both in, in in time and space. But um, then when you look at the data, it, it varies a lot in quality. So to even make that comparable. Um, well, the standard offers from companies like Planet to say, well, we've got base maps and you can compare them, but there's so much, um, so much corrections going into this data that it, that it actually falsifies the results from an analytics right. point of view. Okay. So we, we had to develop our own kind of quality uh, improvement process to take the uncorrected uh, data from the source, uh, which is cool. I'm not bashing or I'm not, I'm not uh, bad-mouthing planet. I think they're doing a great job, but I think to get like really good vegetation analytics, you need to make improvements to the data, which we are doing. And then we have a real, really comparable time series and can really uh, achieve, look at, yeah, understand what's going on in the forest and how much is, is it changing? What is changing? Um, right. And, and uh, map that and quantify that and, and highlight hotspot uh, problem regions so you don't have to fly hundreds of thousands of hectares to analyze your visually analyze your your forest health um which they do in australia for example i don't know about canada but i know a lot of a lot of flying is going on without any actual data collection but more visual inspection and i think yeah. that can be done more efficiently by satellite data and that's what we're doing yeah so i'll, I'll role play again like albie it's like everyone every forester talks about lidar and, and i hear about this radar and stuff like that from space and stuff doesn't sound like you really need it for for your the solutions that you're offering or do they really take your accuracy level higher than where they are and maybe comment about the accuracy because you know again the forcers who may not be familiar with skylab are probably maybe thinking oh i've heard this before like you know, how good is good right so maybe two pieces of questions can you comment with the accuracy of your your tree cat your, your products i guess your solutions mm -hmm. and then what does lidar and radar mean for you as a business does it does it really help or take what you do to the next level sure okay well yeah quick quick comments on, on the accuracy um it, it depends a little bit a on the product that you're looking at and b on what's your what's your benchmark you're comparing against so um uh, so on, on seeding counting for example uh we have where we have really comparable data so uh, that means um a sample plot marked out so it's also visible in the aerial data so we can compare exactly how many seedlings have we found and how many seedlings were found on the ground um, and we 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 can achieve accuracies of 9900% there um, wow. and um, in, in more tricky conditions with lots of weeds with maybe sometimes uh, suboptimal data quality it 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 could drop to 90% or even below that but but usually, usually we are we around the ninety five um, percent mark so, or about so really that. really so, good. 
really really good yes wow. um and uh, on on satellite uh, data or satellite analysis it's a bit harder to quantify but um so we, we've done a lot of um like uh, mapping of of areas of, of really severe damage like bark beetle damage in northern germany it was a huge problem in the last five years and will continue to be a huge problem um so you're really looking at at 80 loss of forest cover in some areas over over five years so mapping that out and quantifying that precisely um was was one of the tasks and uh we uh we we were able to accurately map 50 square meters uh gaps um yeah very precisely comparing that to what we see from um other initiatives publicly funded like the, the government in germany has funded some some developments uh they get 60 percent accuracy at um half half a hectare so 5,000 square meter 60 percent accuracy we we're getting above 90 percent on 50 square meters so i don't know awesome. how to compare that in terms of but yeah it's it's, it's a two orders of magnitude uh, better yeah. i would say yeah, at least yeah, so that's awesome um but but yeah there's some some areas where it's uh, uh um, trickier so you mentioned lidar for example um I, i'm not a i'm not a big well i'm not a fan of lidar but i see the use cases where it's where it's Come, it, it comes in really handy. I, I'm wondering sometimes why people spend so much on LiDAR or photogrammetry can do the same job and you get better data because you get color information and higher resolution. Um, if, if you have uh, um, simple plantations on, on not too mountainous um, terrain, you don't need LiDAR, I think. So uh, you can get the same kind of data for a quarter of the price. And um, we've done a lot of comparisons like that in Australia, for example, with very very good results but yeah we've we've used lidar a lot in cases where the canopy was was more complex and very closed and the terrain was very hilly or mountainous then lidar is 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 the tool of choice for sure um, um you mentioned space-based lidar um, and radar um that's something that i think is lacking is a, a useful um uh 3d analytics tool for forestry from yeah from space that's easily available uh there's there's uh, um radar we tested and found it um it's it's more of a zero one uh, kind of result is there a canopy is there not a canopy but but you're not gonna take get any any um measurements out of that really and then we, we looked at uh, JEDI, the ISS-based LiDAR yep. um, instrument, which got us really excited at the beginning, but then we learned, well, it's only, it's only going to ever take a footprint of one point, of, of that one point, and it's, it's not going to revisit that point. Um, and it's a 25-meter um, radius, as far as I remember. Um, yep. So, yes, it, it gives you an indication, and it's, it's, I think it's super helpful for kind of global forest cover um, analytics and uh, relating that to some of the Sentinel-2 based um, uh, global forest mapping tools. And it's going to make a lot of sense in terms of what's the global forest carbon stock? What's, 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 what's happening there? For that, Absolutely. it's great. For our yeah. more um, yeah, stand or asset-based 
analytics it's not it's not good it's not precise enough because yeah you, the the forester you were just role playing will not be happy with the with the results from that so yeah, yeah. absolutely and, and and speaking of that uh, you're bang on right for our listeners you fly airborne ladder your hot spot your footprint's 25 centimeters and you get excited about jedi in here you know you got a 25 meter footprint uh you know that's that's night and day uh, like uh, tackling different problems uh i i would i would suggest there uh so Thinking of, so great stories here. Um, cost is often, a, a, a for again, you've been at this long enough, Albie, it's like, yeah, is this really expensive and whatnot? For our listeners, you've mentioned, you know, you're, you're, you're not using the more expensive technologies or you will use them for the right environment where it's needed. You're fitting the right tool for, for the right uh, place there. But from a cost point of view, can, can you shed any light for our listeners in terms of, you know, what they can expect if they call you or is it really one of those, it depends on where you are, the terrain, or is there some metric there that you guys use for your model? For the for the standard products like the seating counter, tree counter, um, or the change monitor, we have standard pricing. Yes, and and um, you will not be surprised if you hear that um, it does depend on the size of your of your project of your area that you want monitored. So, uh, but to give you just to do, to give you a benchmark. Um, um, so uh, we're looking at just for for the the, the, the naked seedling counting, um, seedling survival monitoring. You're looking around about at two dollars per hectare, two US dollars. That that would be well. That does make sense, right? In the US, we're asking for a dollar per acre, roughly. So everywhere else, we're usually charging euros or sometimes uh, uh, Brazilian reais. But um, yeah. yeah, so 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 let's say run just as a rough benchmark figure two dollars per hectare is a is a good um orientation um it'll if you want wheat and vitality that adds a little bit but then if you increase your hectares then it'll drop from from there so yeah just yeah, uh, yeah. Just a rough well, it's, it's awesome because often you know as we do this just having a baseline to start from right it sets the expectation so you know when someone calls you after this they'll be like yeah i, I I know the baseline, like I'm expecting, like we're within our budget potentially mm -hmm. per se. So that's awesome. So looking at our, our so, time here, I'm yeah, go ahead, Albie. No, no, I was just going to try. I just realized maybe it's worth putting that into perspective because um, our, uh, uh, of course, you, uh, you, you want to look at cost savings, right? So instead of going out and taking samples, you're now going to fly a drone, which, which costs you some time, but much less. And flying the drone is super easy. We instruct our customers how to fly it. We give, you program the drone and it'll, it'll do the flight itself. But, um, or you can hire third-party operators, of course, which again is, is a little costlier. But the main, the main use case is not saving costs. Yes, of course, you want to save costs and you want to get more data, but the really the, the, the big advantage is because you're getting more data and more precise data you will be you will make your stance more productive you you know where to replant and you uh you're not getting one single figure for the for the stand of survival like 93 percent survival so you know it's below the benchmark i should be replanting you know exactly where the gaps are and you could bring it from 97 to 99 percent survival because yep. you know exactly where to go and do the replanting or the weed management so it's increasing the productivity. That's the important longer term uh, bottom line of, of these solutions. But yeah, you yeah. want to you want to save time and costs as well in the, in the first place. So yeah, uh, just it. putting the, those two dollars in perspective a little bit more. Yeah, no, so, for sure. So. I love it. Like you know, using data to drive drive decisions, right? And or insights per se. It's it's exactly what you said. So thinking of of looking forward, um, 
want to kind of shift us a little bit. Uh, so folks mm -hmm. have heard about Skylab technology, really powerful, exciting. You know, I'm even learning lots as, as I'm listening to you, Albie, it's so cool. What's Skylab looking at one? Because again, Digital Forester, we always talk about trends and what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. What are you excited about the next year? And maybe three years out, are there certain things, you know, is there something in the AI space that we, we commoners or lay people that don't live in that space every day that we haven't heard about and you're super excited about, or is there some other macro level trend or even micro maybe, you know, embedded in, in Germany or elsewhere, but maybe share some thoughts in terms of what, what does the future look like uh, for you from a technology point of view in terms of what Skylab does? Hmm. Well, um, no, I think we, we uh, as far as I can see, we've covered the main technology buzzwords and, and, and developments. I think, uh, I think we've only just started, you know, um, we, we trained our neural networks to, to see, uh, to know what a, what a eucalyptus or a pine seeding looks like. And, and we don't need to do a lot of retraining or additional training. We can just receive customer data and, and uh, upload it into, or the customer upload, uploads it into the cloud, and it'll 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 be able to distinguish the the seedlings from other vegetation automatically. So we've come a long way in about a year, a bit over a year of developing this. So if that's possible in this time frame, um, a lot else will be possible, right? So um, um, uh, I think I think. Uh, um, recognizing patterns of change is is the next kind of frontier that that we're looking going to be looking at in more more on satellite based uh, monitoring but also looking at individual tree or seedling vitality to to go beyond just uh, a discoloration a discoloration or 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 size of the the canopy to to take all information into account that's within the data and and uh, looking at this, but of course the advantage of satellite based data is that you can you can do frequent revisits and and even do a monthly or even bi weekly analysis of the data and and um, and taking this I think um, I'm I'm hopeful that combining some of the three D data points like let's say you do a photogrammetry or lidar flight every few years and then uh, but but relating that to uh, satellite two-dimensional but multi-spectral data um, that you monitor on a on a let's say on a monthly basis so you you can factor out or in whichever way you want to look at it uh, the, the seasonal variations and learn what what how the the, the growth patterns uh, show up in two-dimensional data i think i think that's that's uh, that's coming. I'm I'm sure we can we can connect the dots and and make a lot or provide a lot more insights. I'm not saying we're going to replace all that monitoring, even the the more high resolution three dimensional monitoring. But but knowing more in more detail the the ongoing developments and changes, I think that's that's going to be a huge thing, and um, we're working on that. So. Um, I don't know whether that's around the corner next year or whether it takes three more years, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that'll that'll be there um, in the foreseeable well, future. Well, given your track record, Albie, with uh, your your first startup there exiting this one, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you maybe three months to to come back to us with yeah. new technology <laughs> offers. Ah, for no. <laughs> you, you mentioned just um, out of curiosity, you mentioned multi-spec, right, and only needing the RGB, and then just in your comments there, thinking of our listeners from the EO space, you know hyperspectral of value or is that in that category oh, it's just too many bands it's it's costly we don't we don't need it or is that part of the 
the the short term of yeah there might be something there to augment that vitality component what do you think yeah um to be honest i i i don't have an answer for that i i think i mean we, we are working with planet scope data which usually only have four bands which is kind of um narrow um I, we'd like to have more center has eight so so that's really good but then you have 10 meter resolution instead of three so that's 11 times less uh, sharp in terms of imagery um so um for the time being that's that's pretty good uh hyperspectral um i think i i think um the spectral resolution is, is sometimes um overloaded with too many expectations the 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 thing is yes you can you can probably um detect something that that is that is really hidden in the bands um like like a specific like maybe for example finding a specific disease or because of a specific reaction or or of a very precise um uh species differentiation but but spectral signals are so much influenced by uh time of day season um age of, of the vegetation you're looking at um the sensor itself so i'm not very um optimistic that hyperspectral um will, will will be able to help us in in the more kind of routine type of monitoring for very specific questions for a very specific point in time for a very specific region yes probably but to be honest that's not the kind of space we're working in. we're we're, we're more interested in in broader solutions that help everybody um so um yeah, yeah um, for sure for sure uh, so, so for us for us a few bands are enough so right right so so lots of successes to date what is what you know in your cdsceo skylab in five-year time frame uh, what what does success look uh, from your seat um in terms of skylab where, where do you want to see it uh grow like world domination of uh of this space or or what's your vision of course. What, what drives alvi right <laughs> No, I, uh, I I think I think there's there's two perspectives of, um, there. Of course, one is um, Skylab um, as a team as a company. I I want I want Skylab to grow. I want Skylab to be successful and earning money. We are a startup. We are a technology startup. We are uh, we are um, currently preparing our next next um, investment round. So of course, in five years' time, I'm hoping that we we will be profitable, very profitable. So that's uh that's 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 the inside perspective um but but for that to happen and that's obviously therefore the, the much more uh, important perspective is that we that we provide solutions to our customers that that make their lives a lot easier um solutions that are so easy and seamless to use that that, uh, that there's no there's no need to think about it whether or should i do this should i not um digitalization should should be a standard in forest industry in the next Absolutely. three to five years and and i think making it simple making it accessible making it uh uh yeah in, in integrating it into uh, the, the the forester's daily life so so it, it it becomes natural that's that's a goal that i want to achieve and and i think um that's why we're focusing on simplifying things in terms of yeah lowering the barriers of, of being able to use it um meaning easy to use drones off the shelf easy to use standard dji drones as data sources for the sitting counter uh, a web-based cloud service um with web gis so that that there's no 
you don't need to be an expert in JS to use this. So, um, so those are, I'm, I'm not saying, um, please don't get me wrong. I'm just saying forces aren't sophisticated enough to use this. I'm just saying why you don't need to be, not every person needs to be an expert in JS tools and, and, um, and data acquisition uh, to be able to use this. Everybody can do this. So um, Absolutely. That's, that's the goal and um, that's what I'm working for. Towards. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely hear you loud and clear. Yeah, in my career working with foresters, they're uh, they're some of the most resourceful, you know, curious, uh, uh, yeah. hackers themselves in their own right ways. Uh, just the skill set they have, how they view the world, is is just incredible. And I think that's just a function of forestry being a very complex space. A lot of people don't appreciate yeah. the complexities involved with that. So, so thinking as we're as we're as we're looking at at winding down, uh, Albie. What are some pro tips you would give to foresters looking to start this journey um, with Skylab? Like, is there a common pattern or, you know, if a listener is going like, man, it's like, I want to connect with Skylab and stuff and I want to come prepared to just kind of jumpstart. Over the years, have you found like there's a recipe that just is consistent or is it really, we got to do a discovery call, understand what you need or what can they bring to the table before that first meeting? Yeah, no, I, I obviously I see it as our job to to be able to put put our future potential customers into the position of, of being able to use Skylab products and, and work with us. Um, so I, I usually um, the first round of discussions is around uh, accuracy, reliability, and 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 what what can we expect, and that's why. Um, we usually do two, two, two important things. One is if it's about high resolution stuff like seeding and, and tree counting and wheat mapping and vitality mapping, then you usually want to fly a drone or, or find a plane operator. So it's discussing what's the right tool to get the data and uh, how do I get that? And, and so preparing most of the time, customers will come to us and say, we have a drone. We, we've been using it for taking some videos or taking some shots and, now we want to take to the next level and then we, then we help them in, in yeah operating the drone so the data is good enough for for or really good so that they can be analyzed um, um, so that's part one and the second part is um, we totally understand that that if you if you see something new you want to test it you're not gonna just blindly right. subscribe to it and say it's going to be okay or just trust it you want to test it and see for yourself so um, we offer, of course, um, test uh, periods. So you don't, you, if you subscribe, you, you get you get to use it for a couple of months or maybe even three months, and and then only only if you're happy, then you you actually start paying. So um, so there's that um, element of trial. But I also um, invite uh, the uh, people who, who try this to. Um, what we learned is that it's sometimes hard to to compare what you what you used to in terms of sampling with 100% coverage. So those right. two data sets are not comparable, at least not as they stand. So you need to look into it in more detail. And because our data, our results are deviating from whatever they've been sampling, doesn't mean our data is wrong. It's probably right. we're looking at two different realities, and that needs to be that needs to kind of sink in sometimes. So, um, but yeah, that's 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 a process, and that's that's usually what's happening in those two three months, and then um, most uh, most have stayed with us. So um, I invite everybody to 
give us a call and and uh, or write to us and uh, yeah. and um, and get started by testing us. So yeah. So last question for my my and Albi is is obviously we're still in this COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what Germany's like. I think like in Ontario, largest province in Canada, we're reopening um, to 50% capacity on some things um, at the end of the month. But was COVID good for business for Skylab or bad? And, and before you answer that, some of our listeners who may not be in the force space might go like, why is he asking this? For certain sectors, COVID was actually good. When we think about the technology space, it was actually a boom. And albeit markets now are doing something completely different, uh, but we won't get into that. But for Skylab, how, how, what was the COVID or our ongoing COVID days? What was that like for business for you? Um, I guess uh, I'm lacking the long track uh, record like, like you have with your company in, in, the, in this space to be able to compare uh, how business developed uh, or, or, or not developed uh, uh, due to COVID. But um, I think there's, there's pros and cons. I mean, um, uh, one, one good thing is that it's possible to meet. Everybody's prepared to meet like we are meeting now. And, Absolutely. And, uh, discuss. Um, so, um, I mean, we used Zoom before to meet with Brazilian or Chilean customers. And we, we, we started our business in Australia like this. So I've, I've, I personally have not been to Australia on business uh, since I started Skylab, even though we have uh, lots of customers there. So, but that was even before COVID. So maybe Australians are, are very open to this. Um, thanks, Australia. Great job. <laughs> um, but, but um uh, yeah, it, it still takes personal meetings to to Absolutely. to to build trust. I think that's true today, and and I think the the cancellation of a lot of the trade fairs has has certainly not been good for for developing a business. So absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah for it's, sure. It's there, can't help it. But uh, I think we've we've weathered uh, this this storm quite well, and uh, we emerged stronger. Before. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we're all uh, globally at the tail end of, of things. So, Albie, I want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. I learned a lot. As I said, I was really excited to learn more about what Skylab do, does, did, has plans. I've been watching you guys on social, cool stuff coming out and, and, and just fascinated by it. So I wanted to thank you for carving out part of your day to speak with us. I'm hoping our listeners enjoyed the, the conversation that we had. And for those who want to reach out to you and Skylab, what's the best way? Facebook, LinkedIn, website, email? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the easiest way? Yeah, the, the easiest way is, um, well, um, uh, it's, it's hello at skylabglobal.com. It's our kind of standard email, but you can also write to me directly at uh, roofer, which is R-U-F-F-E-R at uh, skylabglobal.com. Or check out our LinkedIn feed um, at the Skylab Global LinkedIn um, corporate site and uh, join us there. And um, yeah, um, give us a well, give us a call. I think it's a, yeah, it's easier by email. Um, I won't spell out the number now, so you'll find us, um, and uh, then we can get you introduce you to the Skylab Cloud and and get you started very quickly. Very cool. I, I might even be calling that uh, number to, to play around with it myself. So, so for our listeners, there you have it. That's the best way. Got direct contact email for the CEO of Skylab. You can reach out directly to Albie to get more information. So Albie, once again, thanks so much for joining. I hope you had fun on this conversation. I certainly did. And I look forward to talking more and maybe at some point meeting in person and, uh, and, and seeing what we can do. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Kevin, for, for having right. me here. 
Okay. Thanks, Abby. Thank you.